This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 67 of the Healthy Critters Radio on the Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we discuss care of our wild bird populations. The breed of the show is the llama. In Critter Nutrition, Tigger goes down the rabbit hole on CBD. And in Coffee Clatch, we share our favorite horse quotes. Join us. So, Tigger, what'd you do with Patty? (laughs) I set her down to Key West. (laughs) (laughs) Where she's spending a lovely week on the ocean. Yes, regular listeners will notice that Patty P is not here today, so I have to fill in just a little bit. And I'm about ready to head off myself. Oh, that's right. You're going on a big excursion, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Back to Alaska. Back to Alaska. Now, are you going to Alaska this time of year because it was convenient or because you wanted to want to get out of Virginia in the sweltering heat? Actually, it's because it's good bear season. Oh, you're going to go take pictures of bears again? Yep. Yes. I, I, that's a stupid thing to say. That's one of those, <laughs> here's your sign moments. What else would you do? Like, you're not going to go ride a bear. You're not going to go make friends no. with a bear. You're not going to go pet a bear. No. You're going to stay a safe distance and take a picture of a bear. <laughs> take lots of pictures of bears and and observe them. I, I find observing them to be, you know, fascinating. Especially through, I mean, I have a very big lens. It's a 100-400 millimeter lens. It weighs 11 pounds oh my. without the camera. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a monster. But your ability to see detail in it. Mm-hmm. even from a distance. So you can watch the bear, the incredible claws of the bear pick the salmon up and you can watch the mouth open. You can see the teeth. You can see how she she or he pulls the skin. I mean, it's, and how they play with their cubs and interact with other bears. And um, I, I could watch bears all day long. So where do you think your fascination with bears started? Winnie the Pooh. Oh, I was thinking that, but I thought, no, not really. Winnie the Pooh. And Tigger, too. And Tigger, too. Now, is that how you got the nickname Tigger? I did. Because mm-hmm. you're bouncy, bouncy? Bouncy, flouncy, and picky. Picky eater. Oh, is Tigger a picky eater? I didn't realize well, that. Yeah, well, Tigger likes everything except this and this and this and this and this and this and this. Okay. See, I yeah. was I was not that up on my Winnie the Pooh lore. Ah, uh, <laughs> and it's funny. I had a um, I had a bear um, as a little kid, you know, a stuffed animal bear, and evidently it was given to me when I was, you know, newly born, and it was solid white. And by the time I really connected with it, it was solid gray. <laughs> been washed so many times it was losing its eyes and and I called it old bear and I dragged that bear everywhere everywhere just like Christopher Robin in a way so I've had a long you've had a a lifelong fascination with bears yeah now have you gone to other wild places to observe and take pictures of bears besides Alaska well Montana where my my mother lives Mm-hmm. Um, you can just be taking a walk and run into a bear. Eek! Can I keep that in mind um, if I ever go to Montana? There are a lot of black bears in Montana. Mm-hmm. And um, my mother won't go out at night anymore um, because she's afraid she's going to see a bear. And when you're 87 years old, I, I, I totally not a understand bad, that. Not a bad way to look at things, no. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we go into the park. That would, that would be Yellowstone because she only lives about 45 minutes away. Dang. And, I, oh, yeah, I, she lives close. I'm jealous. <laughs> and, you know, we'll, we'll go into the park and inevitably we'll come across a black bear or a grizzly bear. And sometimes they're from, you know, quite a distance. You have to get your big lens out or your telescope. Um, and I just, I, 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 I seek them out. They're like one of my my spirit totems. Cool. So you've yeah. done Montana and Alaska. Now, when you go to Alaska, 
when you go, do you go to a specific place and see what bears you see? Or do you go in search of a certain species of bear? What's the plan? Well, last year I flew to Katmai. And Katmai is oh, miles and miles and miles of um, a preserve. It's protected by the federal government. And there are lots of Alaskan brown bear in Katmai. And Katmai is like landing in another on another planet. There's no trees. Oh. At least in this part of Katmai, it's it's the tundra. It's just very low um, ground cover and some willows by the you know rivers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you're you're in bear country and they can really see you. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just thinking, yeah. wow, great place to look at bears. But you're right, they can see you just as well. Yeah, they can see you really well. Oh, um, and you have to fly in by seaplane, mm-hmm. which is just a great experience you take off on a lake and you land on a lake and then you hike into the river um because the bears are on the salmon run this year since i've already done katmai um there are some bears in ketchumik bay so i'll be in ketchumik bay for almost a week so um i'm hoping that i'll be you know photographing the bears in ketchumik bay oh my well, we get to hear about that on the next show, yes? Yes. Okay. I want to hear all about it, and I want pictures. Oh, my God. I Last year, I took a 1,000 pictures. Wow. Now, do, what, what kind of a camera do you have? Um, I have uh, four cameras. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not taking pictures with your iPhone? <laughs> uh, no. Now, they're all digital, yes? Uh, yeah. There are two DSLRs. Um, I hate changing lenses. I'm just, I have this lazy streak. So I have one DSLR with the big mother of a lens on it. And then I have another DSLR with a prime lens, 50 millimeter, which is great for, you know, scenery and landscapes. And when you shoot with a prime lens, it, the, the, the quality is just so sharp and so vivid when you have a telephoto you lose some of that but you gain the ability to go far so it can be a little bit of a trade-off and then i have a great little canon i call it a portable camera it shoot i mean i just stick it on automatic and i can shoot out of airplanes i shoot out of moving cars i hold it out the window and this little camera it's unbelievable. You can go 50 miles an hour. I can hold that camera out and get a, a shot as so I'm going by. It's the, inc- it it's the incredible useful by. camera, yes. It's an incredible camera. It's the little quarter horse of cameras. It's totally the little quarter horse. And then this year, I splurged and I bought a underwater camera. Ooh. So my plan is I've, I bought these long waterproof gloves that go up over your elbows Mm -hmm. because the water is not exactly tropical in Alaska. So, you know, I do at least one sea kayaking uh, adventure per day. Mm -hmm. Every day. Wow. Yeah. Every day. And so my brilliant idea was, well, I'm sea kayaking. Of course, I have a guide sitting in the back who's actually doing most of the work because I'm busy taking, taking pictures. pictures. Um, is I can get this camera down in the water with my gloves and not freeze to death. And I want to shoot the otters more underwater. Mm-hmm. I've shot a lot of them above the water, but you know what's going on under them? And jellyfish, because they have the most beautiful jellyfish in Alaska. Oh, my gosh. Would not have the jellies that. are really cool. And then there are the seabirds and, the, and the, the seals. Seals are really tricky to photograph because, boy, as soon as they see the kayak or a boat or anything, they're under. Mm-hmm. So um, I got one of those, you know, long sticks that you do, you would use on a uh, – on a like iPhone. A, like a selfie stick? Yep. Yeah. But this is for a, you can adjust it for this kind of camera. Hmm. So that's my other idea is I'm going to stick it down in the water. 
and see if I can get some and distance. See if some sea creature comes floating up and just yanks that camera right off the end of that. We'll see. Yeah, well, I, I you know, it's pretty cold water. So, and and we're in, as kayaking, we're not kayaking out where the whales are. So I, I'm, I'm not so worried about the sea creatures, but I, I just, you know, I love to experiment and test, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, the pictures may all turn out just like crap, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, that's I'll the, have fun trying. That's the joy of digital right there. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. I, I would be way more frustrated if I had to develop photos. Yeah, there we go. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing and hearing all about it. And uh, speaking of beautiful waterfowl, that you're going to be seeing up the water birds. Oh, I'm going to see puffins. You're going to be seeing puffins. We've got a little discussion about birds coming up. Yeah, that's right. We're losing puffins. We're going to be losing puffins. So uh, let's talk about what we can do for the birds. That's right. I think we should. So today we're going to have a discussion between the two of us because Patty is on vacation. So it's Jennifer and I holding down the fort. And we're going to talk about taking care of our wild bird um, populations. Um, and it, 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 this, this was inspired by reading a recent study um, from BirdLife International, um, which showed that 40% of the world's 11,000 bird species are in decline. Wow, that's a lot. That's kind of scary. Lot. Um, the report is compiled every five years, so this is the newest report. Um, and even, you know, very well-known species such as puffins, snowy owls, and turtle doves are rapidly declining in population. Hmm. Um, agriculture, according to the article has the biggest impact of all human activities on birds, threatening 74% of the 1,469 species at risk of extinction. Logging impacts 50% of the threatened species. Um, Invasive species like cats um, are 39%. Hunting is 35%. Climate change and severe weather, 33%. Um, now conservation efforts have helped some of the, um, earlier identified, um, birds at risk, which include the black-faced spoonbills, the red-billed curacaos, and the pink pigeons. There's something, there's a pink pigeon right there. That's an amazing fact all by itself. I think that should be our next breed of show. (laughs) Breed of the show, the pink pink pigeon. pigeon. I want to hear about the pink pigeon. Um, And the results of the study, um, the, the researchers concluded, and this is a quote, everything is reversible because everything is unfortunately of humankind's making. Ooh, I'm fighting words. Yeah. I can totally, and, I, the whole, the, it saddens me, but it does not surprise me. You know, that, that these, that the decline, just the little bit of the bird population that I get to partake of, which is birds that hang around homes and places where I ride horses, um, the human intervention, I totally can see why it happens. We are The things that we love about the out-of-doors um, tend to be not very friendly to wildlife as a whole, and particularly birds. So yeah. this is, it's kind of sad. And yet, like you said, it's, it's totally man-made, and we just maybe need to change what we love about the outdoors just a little bit, maybe. Yeah, like pesticides and herbicides. Um, yeah, lay off those a little bit more. Yeah, yes. yep, lay off. Yes, lay off those. Lay off just those. A, just if, a tad. You know, we we can stop smoking because it's really bad for us. We can yep. maybe stop using so many pesticides because it's bad for us and everybody else, maybe. Yeah. Well, pollution is not even in this. It It's an, as well as. In other yeah. words, it's the end. The biggest imp- 74% 
is affected by agriculture. That's a huge number. Well, that makes sense, too, because when you clear land to grow crops or you clear land to graze animals, that has an effect. You also are using chemicals to do both of those things. Okay, that makes sense, too. So that, again, makes complete sense. And I think the the larger picture there is land that used to be used for agriculture is now being used for living on which means we have to go to areas that are more sensitive for agriculture because the prime real estate that used to be agriculture is now houses yeah so we're going we're our agricultural land is more and more um delicate's probably not the right word but it's it's more marginal property. Yes. Um, witness that in just in scary amounts when I lived in Pennsylvania where I grew up, the amount of farmland that is now suburban sprawl, but that farmland was prime farmland and it did not require a great deal of human intervention to grow profitable crops. But it was worth more money to put humans on it. So they put the humans there, and now they're growing the the crops on land that is less valuable to live on because for the same reasons, it's less valuable as farmland. And you have to do a lot more to it, which is probably not so good for the environment overall. Right. I totally get it. So what can we do personally? What can we do so- ourselves in our own little, own little backyard? Surely there's some way we can help. Yes. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. Oh. <laughs> um, of course, feeding the birds is – that has been a passion of mine because I find it very zen oh. to look out my window and s- see all the different varieties. Now, I am not a bird watcher, but I've lived here for almost 33 years, and I've really got a feel of who migrates through, who Mm -hmm. may not come through one year, and suddenly we have a bunch that come through the next year, who are the regular residents, who's having babies. We have nine bird feeders. Wow. Well, of course, we started with one. Now, are all of your (laughs) – I'm guessing that you have different types of bird feeders with different types of food in them. Yes. Yeah, see, I guess that. Yay, me. You are so good. And and what I what I really what strikes me about feeding the wild birds is how zen it is to watch them. Mm-hmm. What what it does for us as humans. Um, it's very peaceful. It's um, it gets you out of your own head and in out of your own way in a way. Mm-hmm. Um. And to, you know, watch their interaction, because if you step outside, of course, they all fly away. So with the windows as a protection from the birds, from the humans, you really get to see how they interact and when they have arguments and who gets <laughs> to feed first. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and the varieties, you know, the more you feed, the more you attract. Right, right. And... So, it, you know, our bird population is quite large now because we have so many feeders and we're very diligent about keeping them full. And we also have bird baths around. So, and old dog pans of full of water so that they right. can drink, they can bathe. Yeah. It's very, I learned this the hard way. It's really important to have water close by. Yes, yes. Birds must have a regular water source. And that's interesting when we have what you, what we call a drought here in Florida, which just in the winter time we'll have weeks that go by and sometimes even a month or more that goes by that it does not rain. Well, we have lots of water sources here in Florida, but the more seasonal ones will dry up. And it's interesting because as soon as we get a little rainstorm, you see all the birds coming out of the woodwork and Going for the puddles. Yes, exactly. They go straight for the puddles. It, they they skip the bird feeder and go straight to the puddle. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like any other animal. They they need that water source. But that's a really good point is to make sure that there is a water source that is not, that is available to them without them 
um, being in a predator in domesticated predators way. So you have ones where the dogs and the cats aren't going to um, go after them. Yeah. And actually we put the dog bowls up on the um, porch table outside um, so that they're off the ground and they're in a safe place really. Mm-hmm. Um because when you put it on the ground, even a bird bath is only, you know, two feet off the ground. That's still a, a little bit of a threatening right. or insecure spot. Right. Yeah, especially so. if you have a lot of domestic animals that are Correct. out and about. Yes. And Correct. I think you have like seven of them. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, they, they're not interested in birds. They don't, fuck, they don't like the chickens. No, they like to herd them, but they're not interested in yeah. goldfinches or woodpeckers or no. blue jays. or no. <clears throat> They like the chicken, the, the ground-dwelling chicken. So, And it's very interesting because here in, at our place in Florida, we do not put feeders out because of the um, amazingly dense squirrel population. There is, there is no squirrel device in the world that will keep them out of your feeders. So we do not put seed out. Because all that's going to do is increase the squirrel population further. But what one of the things, some of the things that we do is we, as much as possible, try to avoid using chemicals yep. when we can. Uh, we keep a little flower garden. Now it's a container garden so that we can keep it under control. And we try to put lots of plants in there that will encourage butterflies and insects that yeah, are plant-friendly and pollinators because the birds depend on those too. They, they love to eat caterpillars and things like that. So we try to keep plants around that are low maintenance. That way we don't have to use chemicals, but also encourage the in types of insects that birds need to feed on. Um, we do not trim our trees too much. Trees that have really pretty limbs that are all pretty and neat and don't have any dead things in them and stuff like that. Yeah, well, they're, they're not, not real bird friendly. You know, try to leave the tree alone a little bit because the birds need those dense spots in the trees to put their nests. And bushes too. And, and bushes. And we actually let our dry, the sides of our driveway, rather than being beautifully mowed and manicured, we let it in the summer just become a jungle of go. growth. And it's amazing the amount of birds that hang out in there. Yeah. Doves and goldfinches and wow. uh, cardinals and blue jays. Uh, it, it, you know, it's safe because they can hide in the foliage. And Right. If you can't um, see them, they can't see. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that and works the you know, same thing down here with, with you have dense bushes and thickets and the woods here, if you don't keep after them become very dense because we're sort of tropical here. And you see, that's where all of the songbirds are. You do, you rarely yes. see the songbirds in the big, beautiful oak trees that fam- uh-uh. that, that uh-uh. Florida is so famous for. They're in the thickets where we don't yes. go because we know there's gators there too. But <laughs> that's where all the songbirds hang out, in those really yes. heavy thickets. Now, if I yep. have feeders, they'd come racing out to get some. But if I walk past where the thickets start on the exterior fence of the pastures, and I just kind of hang out there real quiet, like especially in the morning, you'll see them flitting about. Oh, it's so, so awesome. That's why we we allow, you know, when we, m- you know, mow our fields, we leave the swath along the woods. Um, little, yeah, and yeah, a little buffer zone. Yeah, It's a buffer zone. Yeah. And we allow certain um, thistles to grow. Um, some we pull out, but some we allow because the goldfinches love thistle seed. Yeah, and it's always nice when they can have natural sources. Exactly. Yeah, natural sources and are better. I was going to say, you could feed your goldfinches and the squirrels are not interested in thistle seed. <laughs> you know, I guess we have goldfinches here in Florida. Oh, Let's I think they're if, all up and yeah, down. Yeah, we don't see coast. a lot of them here. We have, in this particular neighborhood where I live, in my home, we have... Uh, Birds of prey, a plenty. Yeah, we do too. We see um, hawks of various sorts every single day. Yep. Um, this time of year, particularly, the owls are very active. We will even see them during the day sometimes. We wow. Have, we have at least three breeding pairs of owls just on this little 10-acre property. 
Do you know what they are, which ones they are? Oh, I would, I'm embarrassed to say I do not. They're the ones that when they are singing at night, they sound like monkeys. Oh, they don't sing who cooks for you. No, we have those two. We have, I know we have the, we have two sizes. There's one that's about two feet tall. He's really big, fluffy guy. And then we have another one that's little tiny. And I think it's the little tiny one that makes all the noise. And, and I'm sure listeners will email you and say, it's a such and such. And I'm sorry to say, I don't remember, but he sounds like a monkey at night and they're very, very loud. So we have at least those two kinds of owls. Uh, we have cat kites, kites, which look a little bit like a, a, a seagull to me. I'm sure that's not what they look like to a bird expert, but they look a little bit like a seagull to me. That's a bird of prey that we have here. We have occasional falcons. Well, I, I want to conclude our little session on feeding birds um, and taking care of them with, with the reminder of how important songbirds, birds of prey, um, water doves, birds. water birds, uh, they're, yeah. they're so essential Scavengers. to... Yeah. Chickens. Um, <laughs> they're just essential to the ecology of, of the earth. And to lose th- this many species or so many that are in danger, when we can do such small little things to help protect their habitat, like keeping the bushes and, and the trees and feeding them and having a water source – and then just being so delighted in their their presence and thankful that, that they're here and we can enjoy them. Yes, absolutely. And one of the places that I found very, very useful when it comes to anything avian, bird, is the Audubon Society. Audubon.org. Very handy online source to find out if there's some bird that you see that you're like, I wonder what that is. You can find it there. If you're curious about how to um, encourage birds to live happily in your neighborhood or in a park that you're working with locally, that you're trying to encourage more wildlife to be there. It's a great place to go. Aha. And there are lots of sanctuaries for birds. Now I, I see more and more of them wetland areas mm-hmm. and seacoast areas. So um, supporting, go visit them. Yeah. Go visit them and support them. Yeah, absolutely. Put put a dollar in that little box at the entrance to your local park. That's what it's there for. And and hang some suet from your trees. Ooh. <laughs> Very sorry, but I lost power in the middle of the show. So I always you know. have power. Well, that's true. Hedwig is the very definition I'm, of power. <laughs> yes. I'm powerful. Ten pounds of power. That's right. Well, so what are you doing for that's this? Not the point. I want to know what you're doing for this uh, dinner party. Or we um, nothing. I mean, me. I'm just sitting here hating people right now. <laughs> I've I've got an important question for you, Hedwig. If you, you don't mi- if you don't mind me asking, when it comes yes. to when it comes to dinner parties, cheese, cheese beyond cheese because cheese is a given. It's a standard. It's always there. It's like the sunrise. Beyond that, there's no cheese here. There's well, <laughs> it's not because people didn't think of it, and I'm no sure sunrise either. So you know, no cheese, no sunrise. No sunrise. When when no, uh, none. When one's human slave has a dinner party, what one is the them. what is the ideal thing for the dog to be doing during the dinner party? If it's the perfect dinner party from your point of view, what's happening in your world during that dinner party? Being hand-fed cheese. <laughs> of course. One time, Marty, our friend Marty, when I was a new pet, he came for dinner with our other friend, Beth, and he wanted to charm me and allow him to pat my head. 
and he spent 45 minutes feeding me cheese cubes until I let him. That was the best dinner party I've ever attended. It was so great. And I have loved Marty ever since. He's the best man. I think if somebody came to my house and fed me cheese cubes all evening long, I might love them too. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking that would, that fits right into my idea of really being taken care of and loved. That's right. Marty is perfect. (laughs) Wasted on his poodle. (laughs) So do you have to share the dinner party with the poodle? No, they are not here. It's our friends. Booty and Alex, and they were going to bring their puppy, but no puppy. So that's Aww. fine. No problem. Yeah, I'm imagining so. <laughs> well, we'll let you go back to the dinner party because I know that you'll be sitting in anticipation of cheese. Cheese? Yep. Glorious cheese. Thank, thank you for taking time away from your honored guests this evening, Hedwig. We appreciate it. Yeah, that means a lot to us. It's no problem. Take a packet for her. (laughs) I live to accommodate. Yes, I know that about you. When I think of Hedwig, (laughs) I think of what an accommodating dog she is. That is so correct. (laughs) Well, have a good dinner party. Thank you. Bye-bye, Okay, bye, Hedy. And now it's time... For the Breed of the Show. And we're now at the Breed of Show portion of Healthy Critters Radio. And Jennifer has taken on the duties, and exciting duties, I might add, of introducing one of her favorite, most interesting breeds. Breed of Show. This is a lot of pressure. I always (laughs) enjoy Breed of Show when Patty does it. It's so informative and well thought out and interesting and it's like oh man but here we go this is it the breed of the show is the la llama llama l-l-a-m-a i love llamas i think llamas are fascinating i'm not sure if i love them but they're fascinating i i I had my hair eaten by a llama when i was a little kid not everybody can say that and so ever since then i felt a real kinship <laughs> well, the llamas, I was fascinated early on with llamas because um, the push me, pull you. Remember the push of me, pull course, you? Of course, Dr. Doolittle. From Dr. Doolittle. And I had some kind of a toy that was a push me, pull you, and it was purple, and it was my fave. And ever since then, I find them fascinating beasts. And the llamas are part of the camel family. There are act- Oh, yeah. interesting. How, yeah, see, ties into last time. Yeah, with the camel, how yep. the camel, camel got his hump. And the there are actually four different kinds of of llama, which I didn't know. There's the llama, the alpaca, the guanaco, and the vicuna. And I'm pretty darn sure those last two I've pronounced incorrectly. So, listeners, let me know. JenniferEdwardsRadioNetwork.com. Um, yes, the the family name is Llama, L-A-M-A, but the species is the L-L-A-M-A. How about that? Wow. Didn't know. I thought alpacas and llamas were completely different critters, but apparently they're very closely related. And you can actually have um, a cross between an alpaca and a llama, and you have a, a viable uh, baby, so just kind of like a donkey and a horse. So there you go. Interesting fact. Um, very. Very interesting. And llamas, as we many of us are aware, are used as pack animals in many parts of South America and in North America, too, upon occasion. And they are a handy-dandy, quiet, and calm pack animal, and they can carry between 25 and 30% of their own weight. Wow. So they're pretty sturdy. Um, and they're more recently being used for their fiber, for their wool. I have an alpaca wool hat. Yep, yep. Yeah, that I don't use a lot anymore. (laughs) Um, And they're pretty big critters. They're between 280 and 450 pounds. Wow. That's a pretty big critter. That is a big critter. It's a big critter. They come in a huge variety of colors, black, brown, white, red, gray, spotted, and even tri-color. 
and this is something that I thought was that was weird. It didn't it didn't sit with me that llamas are known for their gentle character and ease at which they can be trained. Is that huh. what is that something that you would have said about a llama? No, I I um I actually when I I took a course in commun- learning how to do animal communication. Mm-hmm. And one of the at this this per- person's house and I was asked to go off and talk to the llamas. And I got a very a very superior the being I talked to had a very superior, um, regal, um, almost arrogant mm-hmm. attitude. Not mm. humble. Not humble. <laughs> He's a camel, after all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, and everything. All of the research I did, they described a llama as a dent, as a gentle beast. Um, and I just envisioned camels or um, al- llamas. The ones that you see at the petting zoo that are grumpy and spit at everybody. <laughs> right. So maybe that's because they live in a petting zoo. <laughs> True. But they can be easily trained. Um, and they're also used as livestock guardians. Who knew? Really? Yes. Um, particularly for sheep. And you, you you use just one, not two, because other if you use two or more, then the llamas pal around with each other and don't take so much time to keep after the sheep. So you put one in there, usually a male, and they will very quickly bond with your flock of sheep. And because they are naturally offended by predators and will chase them off, unlike your sheep who will just stand there and wait to get eaten, yeah. they, they make a very handy... Um, protector for your sheep because unlike a guardian dog who needs separate care he needs dog food and dog grooming and dog they need a they have a very similar lifestyle and care needs to a sheep so it's kind of convenient ah. never thought of that but yeah no who knew right so that's kind of the uh, the thing on there and they have one little baby at a time and it takes them 350 days to do it um, wow, that's yeah, pretty long. Pretty long. Similar to a, a horse or a cow, I guess. And la- it says here that llamas generally give birth during daylight hours, very unlike horses. Wow. Who knew? Who knew? Yeah. So there we go. There's so much more to llamas than the push me, pull you. Llamas 101. <laughs> awesome. Let's each get one. And folks, it's time to put on your thinking cap. It's critter nutrition <laughs> time. And we're going to go down a serious rabbit hole. Maybe rabbit will be our breed of the show next time. Um, <laughs> there you go. What have you got for us, uh, Tigger? Well, I went down the rabbit hole on CBD. What is CBD? It's the cannabidiols. Okay. CBD is getting a lot of attention because we we have discovered that all mammals, including humans and horses and dogs, have receptor sites in our bodies for cannabidiols. And cannabidiols come from cannabis and hemp. So we're, we're already, in a way, pre-programmed to um, be able to utilize cannabinoids. Got it. Now it all makes sense. Okay. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, are you ready to go down the rabbit hole? I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. For two years, I have been researching cannabidiol, commonly known as CBD and a member of the fan- family of cannabinoids. Hemp and cannabis both contain cannabinoids as well as 400 other compounds. THC is the cannabinoid that is psychotropic, provides that stoned feeling. THC is one of the most famous cannabinoids in marijuana. Hemp, however, is not a source of THC. 
Both hemp and cannabis contain the non-psychotropic cannabidiol, a.k.a. CBD. And it is CBD that is revealing itself to be quite a fascinating and important substance. Cannabinoids are not totally unique to hemp and cannabis are not totally unique to hemp and cannabis and are found in other plants as well, such as kale and broccoli. Hemp seed oil is made from extracting the oil from the hemp seeds. There is little to no CBD in hemp seeds and therefore no CBD in hemp oil. But when the hemp stalks and flowers and leaves are pressed for oil, the CBD percentage is quite substantial. This, this is the oil known as hemp oil. CBD from cannabis is only legal in states that have approved medical marijuana. CBD from hemp oil is legal in all 50 states and the EU. So what's the big deal about CBD? Research has shown that cannabinoid receptors are located throughout the body in mammals, birds, reptiles, fish, sea urchins, leeches, mussels, and humans. Sea urchins? Yeah, isn't that amazing? <laughs> I, th- I think the leeches is really interesting. Who thought to look there? <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. So true. Cannabinoid receptors are not found in insects. These cannabinoid receptors are part of the biological endocannabinoid system. Say that fast three times. Found throughout the body, in the brain, organs, connective tissues, glands, GI tract, and immune cells. While the cannabinoid system provides different tasks, the goal is the same. Maintenance of a stable internal environment despite fluctuations in the external environment. This is known as homeostasis. Scientists estimate the endocannabinoid system evolved in primitive animals over 600 million years ago. Some researchers think that the cannabinoid receptors may be more numerous than any other receptor system. At present, two cannabinoid receptors have been identified, CB1 and CB2. Many tissues can contain both CB1 and CB2 receptors, and there is speculation among scientists that there are more cannabinoids waiting to be discovered. Humans and animals produce endocannabinoids, which means within, endo means within, our bodies to stimulate the cannabinoid receptors. So our bodies can make cannabinoids that stimulate the cannabinoid receptors. These endocannabinoids are long-chain polyunsaturated fatty acids derived from membrane phospholipids and arachidonic acid, which is one of the most abundant fatty acids in the brain. The body metabolizes omega-6, which is linoleic acid, to produce arachidonic acid. The endocannabinoids have a short life before being degraded by intercellular enzymes, The body does not store endocannabinoid molecules. They are produced on demand. Phytocannabinoids are from plants and stimulate cannabinoid receptors in the body. CBD is a phytocannabinoid. Now, here is the miracle of CBD. Not only can it fit into the cannabinoid receptors, it increases the availability of the endocannabinoids by stopping a specific enzyme called FAAH from degrading the endocannabinoids. This, in turn, provides more cannabinoids for the body. So the basic functions of the endocannabinoid system are the regulation of homeostasis, stasis, including metabolism, pain, mood, movement, memory and learning, immune function, inflammation, and digestion. The cannabinoid receptors in the body are expressed in the brain, liver, lungs, smooth muscle, gastrointestinal tract, vascular endolithium, reproductive organs, immune system, sensorial peripheral nerves, and sympathetic nerves. The CB2 receptors are expressed in immune system cells such as macrophages, neutrophils, monocytes, B lymphocytes, T lymphocytes. CB2 receptor expression includes skin nerve fibers and bone cells such as osteoblasts, osteocytes, and osteoclasts. U.S. government in 1999, patented cannabinoids as antioxidants and neuroprotectants. 
a quote from the patent, useful in the treatment and prophylaxis of a wide variety of oxidation associated with diseases that are age-related, inflammatory, and autoimmune diseases, end quote. This is important because the root of many diseases and imbalances in the body is oxidative stress. The body produces its own antioxidants, such as glutathione, ALA, and CoQ10, but chronic stress, pollution, and environmental and food stressors can result in the body not having enough antioxidants to fight the cascade of free radicals. The hemp plant, more than just CBD. As exciting as CBD is for health and for healing, there are other components of the hemp plant that are important to the body system. These include terpenes and bioflavonoids. Terpenes are organic compounds found in many plants. Some of the more aromatic plants with terpenes include rosemary, oregano, mint, and basil. Hemp contains a wide range of terpenes, over 200, synergistically interacting with cannabinoids in the plant. Bioflavonoids are a large class of organic plant compounds found, for example, in citrus fruits, legumes, beetroot, pepper, and onions. Hemp provides the bioflavonoids, quercetin, beta-cestosterol, but it also has a unique subclass of flavonoids called canna-flavines. These flavonoids are being studied by researchers, but already we know that canna-flavine A is an inhibitor of the pro-inflammatory prostaglandin, PGE2. The drug misoprostol, commonly used for hindgut ulcer horses, is a synthetic PGE1 prostaglandin, which helps regulate the pro-inflammatory PGE2. Canaflavin A, by inhibiting PGE2, could be beneficial in supporting prostaglandin regulation for hindgut ulcer horses. Other nutritional components. The hemp plant isn't just cannabinoids, terpenes, and bioflavonoids. Hemp plants contain fiber, protein, fat, and carbohydrates, plus vitamin E, alpha-tocopherol, and gamma-tocopherol. Hemp also provides calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, copper, zinc, and manganese. The current craze for CBD. If you are wondering why it's taken me two years to study CBD, it is because CBD has become a marketing phenomenon and nightmare rolled into one. So many health claims, so many different forms of CBD oils, many different processes of extracting the oil. I can't tell you the number of CBD oils I have purchased and have been severely disappointed. I am by no means a hemp expert. I was introduced to hemp seeds and hemp oil in 2000 by a small family-owned Canadian company, and quite honestly, I fell in love with hemp for its nutritional benefits and its ecological ones. Ten years ago, Biostar was the first equine supplement company to bring hemp oil to the market for horses, quickly followed by hemp protein and hemp fines, which we use in Optimum. We still purchase from the same Canadian company I was introduced to in 2000. Waiting for the right hemp. My disappointment with the various CBD oils led me to the conclusion that I wanted a whole food CBD that provided the matrix of nutritional factors, not simply the isolated CBD. In my research, I learned that some strains of hemp will have higher CBD than other strains, but there is no way to determine that by reading a label. CBD has exploded in the market. The price for bulk CO2 extracted CBD oil, considered the Cadillac of oil extraction, is shockingly expensive, ranging from $4,200 to $5,800 a kilo, which is 2.2 pounds of oil. Because of the expense, companies can then cut the oil with other oils like coconut to reduce their cost, but that also reduces the percentage of CBD. What is clear to me presently in the CBD oil world, you really do get what you pay for. Other factors to consider. Another factor to consider with CBD is from what part of the plant it is extracted. Some hemp processors only process the oil from seeds, which have negligible CBD amounts, plus the stalks. Premier CBD oil is processed from the whole plant, flowers, leaves, seeds, and stalks. Further consideration and increased complications are the ongoing debates as to the quality of hemp from the USA versus hemp from the EU. I wanted hemp from the USA, but it had to be organic, and that is hard to find. 
The hemp plant has absorbing qualities that can include contaminants in the soil. Hemp grown in poor soil may have high levels of lead and other heavy metals. <coughs> the EU uses far less herbicides and pesticides than we do, but I wanted to support American farmers. I found a couple of U.S. and EU sources of hemp meal, which is what is left over from the oil extraction, but the percentage of CBD was so low that I decided to set CBD aside for inclusions in a formula and wait until I could find what I was looking for. One of the challenges I found in studying hemp CBD products is that some companies mislead company consumers by how the CBD dosage is labeled. The trick that companies will enlist is to provide the milligrams of the total hemp oil with CBD rather than the milligrams of the actual active CBD itself, not including hemp oil. The miracle from Oregon. Oregon happens to be the state where we found our organic pumpkin seed meal, which is a rare find today as most organic pumpkin seeds and meal comes out of China. I suppose it shouldn't have surprised me too much that a hemp farmer in Oregon growing organic high-content CBD hemp who extracts the oil from the whole plant using supercritical CO2 extraction would have hemp meal, which is a blend of the leaves, seeds, and stems, with almost double the amount of CBD as other hemp meal material. For me, it was the eureka moment. Here was the hemp meal I was waiting for. A simple search on Science Direct for studies and research on CBD gives 2,572 results. In gastrointestinal endoscopy alone, there are 25 published articles, and in gastroenterology, there were 53. In 2017, there were 248 research articles on CBD, and so far in 2018, there have been 260. A search for cannabinoids in PubMed for the years 2010 to 2015 resulted in 1,827 publications. Based on the science, the health benefits for horses and dogs include anti-inflammatory, can help reduce chronic and systemic inflammation, including in the GI tract, helps protect the gastric mucosa against lesions, erosions, and inflammation, reduces oxidative stress. Chronic disease has a causative link to oxidative stress, provides neuroprotective agents, can reduce chronic pain, can play a positive role in metabolism by stimulating genes and proteins to enhance the breakdown of fats, increases the number and activity of the mitochondria for cellular energy, can reduce anxiety, provides immune system modulation can help the body system attain well-being through the regulation of homeostasis by the body's own cannabinoid system. Like everything nature does, there is an interconnectedness. We know with pharmaceuticals, many of which began with the isolation from a plant source and were then recreated in a laboratory, there are side effects and warnings Nature didn't intend on humans and animals eating isolated nutritional factors or medicinal components. The ancient healers like the Chinese and the Hindus recognized the significance and energy of plants and foods, the life force, if you will, of the whole. The whole plant is greater than the sum of its parts. Biostar will be offering our whole new Whole Food CBD Formula for Dogs in September 2018 and our new Whole Food CBD Formula for Horses in October 2018. We have augmented our Whole Food Hemp CBD with other anti-inflammatory and super antioxidant foods to provide a multifaceted formula for wellness. If you'd like to know and read the complete article from which I just read because I did leave out some parts because it's a quite a lengthy article. Um, it comes out in, in our newsletter on uh, August 7th, and you can find it on our blog at if you go to biostarus.com. Perfect. Now, I've got a question for you. Can't you get the Biostar newsletter? Can't we sign up for that? Of course you can. How do you do that? Huh. I'll just send Leslie an email. No. Really? How can listeners sign up for the Biostar newsletter? Go to biostarus.com 
And if you scroll down, it there's a place for you to sign up for our newsletter. Stroll all up. There it is. All the way at the bottom of the page on the right-hand yep. side. The Biostar feed bucket. Get the newsletter. There you go. <laughs> Do it today, and you can and you can get that article and all of other Tigger's other really, really fascinating blog posts. <laughs> real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why Biostar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. Biostar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real fruit ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The Biostar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BiostarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BiostarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. And we're now at Coffee Clatch, and I... I thought it would be fun for us to share our our favorite quotes about horses. Um, I, I picked my favorite quotes from, you know, famous people. Um, I'm sure that uh, you out there in our listener land also have favorite quotes. Um, Jennifer, you have some favorite quotes from... I do. I figured you would. I would, yeah. Um this is one of my favorites from way back in the day. W.C. Fields. Oh, I love him. Horse sense is the thing that a horse has that keeps him from betting on people. <laughs> yeah, I love W.C. Fields. And if you don't know who W.C. Fields is, go to Wikipedia. <laughs> um, well, I'll start with um, one of my favorites, which is Abraham Lincoln. Oh, I can make a general in five minutes, but a good horse is hard to replace. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. I'm not a John Steinbeck fan, but this is a really great quote. A man on a horse is both spiritually and physically bigger than a man on foot. Ooh, that is good. Yeah. Or, okay, I've got one from Ian Fleming. Ooh, one of my faves, <laughs> Ian Fleming, author of 007. Yeah, the Bond man. A horse is dangerous at both ends and uncomfortable in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, Herman Melville. Again, I don't think I've ever read, read, read anything by Herman Melville. Really? Except perhaps Moby when I was... Dick? Never read Moby Dick. No philosopher so thoroughly can comprehend us as dogs and horses. Oh, wow. That is so true. That's very true, isn't it? Yep. This is from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Ooh, he's a goodie. Oh, he's a really goodie. Riding a horse is not a gentle hobby to be picked up and laid down like a game of solitaire. It is a grand passion. That is true. This one is this one is not... um. Attributed to anyone. Okay. They were awfully clever. One can sit in a car and see what man has made, but one must get on a horse to see what God has made. Oh, I love <gasps> that. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, that's wonderful. Um, I have one from Reiner Klimke. Oh, a modern one. There we go. Modern one, yes. My horses are my friends, not my slaves. Ooh, and you know who you are. Uh-huh. There we go. One more. Let me think here. And here's a, here's a more modern one from a horse person, uh, Pat Pirelli. A horse, ah. a horse doesn't care how much you know until he knows how much you care. Yeah, that's, that's so true. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to end with another horse person. Oh, goody. Tom Dorrance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a real goody. When I hear somebody talk about a horse or a cow being stupid... I figure it's a sure sign that the animal has outfoxed them. 
good cowboy humor right there. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And what a good one to end on. So yeah. if you've got a favorite quote, please go to Healthy Critters Radio and uh, share it with us on Facebook or on our uh, website, healthycritters.com. Healthycritters.radio.com. There you go. See? Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to healthycrittersradio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. <laughs>